Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. Doing three blind mice this morning, three blind mice. How many of you know the song? You don't have to sing, but if you'd like, uh, sing along with me here. Okay, you ready? Three blind mice, three blind mice. See how they run. You're doing good. See how they run. Not so good. They all ran after the farmer's wife. She cut off their... Have you ever seen such a sight in your life? Three blind... Have you... She did what? She cut off their tails... With the, how many of you learned she cut off their head with a butcher knife? Raise your hand. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and any of you guys who grew up up the mountain. You know, I just, I just recently learned that it's cut off their tails with a carving knife. Because in my family, my dad taught me, we cut off their head with a butcher knife. What a sicko family I grew up in. Three blind mice. Ironically, a blind mouse can survive very well without a cane, without a leader dog, trusting in its sense of smell and direction. Uh, they're, they're pretty good at, at getting around, and they, they could survive quite well if it wasn't for their adversary. Who is their adversary? The farmer's wife. No, the cat. That was good. That was good. It's the cat. The cat is the adversary of the mouse. And boy, those cats, listen, if we all could be as smart as a cat, this world would be a different thing. But these cats, they position themselves. They get downwind. They do whatever they need to do. They just sit so still. And thus, you see no blind mice running around, do you? Because they take care of him. Well, the Bible says that mankind has an adversary, and his name is Satan. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So every day that we live, there's a battle for the hearts and souls of mankind. And that battle is between the God of the universe, the almighty God of the universe, and Satan. The adversary. And this battle goes on each and every day. And this battle takes place for non-believers and believers. Because the battle that Satan wants for the believer is, he can't have your soul, he can't have your salvation, but he wants to shut you up. He wants you to get in a position where you're like, you know what, I, I, I can't speak up for God, look at me, look at. And so he is battling for your testimony each and every day to stop it, to ruin it. And for the lost, he just wants you to keep on strolling. He just wants you to keep on going. He wants you to pick up speed, headed for an eternity apart from hell, apart from God, an eternity in hell. So we have this adversary. And um, 
C.S. Lewis screw tape letters, and he wrote in 1942 uh, as Wormwood. He was talking about, you know, they were talking about how do we, how do we deceive man, or how, you know, what do we do here? And they came up with the idea of let's just get them to believe that we don't exist. And so there's a lot of people who don't believe that that Satan even exists. That it's just uh, it's a metaphor. It's something that we blame sin on, and, and, and all this. But it's it's really not. It's really not uh, anything real. The, the numbers change on this every year, but they say about 43% of professing Christians say that they don't believe that there's a real devil. And sad to say that many believers in church today who do believe that there's a real devil live their lives like that there isn't and just act like that there isn't. <clears throat> I personally don't believe in male pattern baldness. I just don't believe it. I live in America. I can believe whatever I want. But there is male pattern baldness. Do you know what my wife let lay out for me this morning? There's this little sponge pad in this little container of who knows what. And she said, put that on your head. I'm like, what? I need a cough drop. I don't need this stuff to put. Put it on your head and put it on your nose and on the bottom of your ears. Why? Because your head shines. Well, thank you very much. Now I know why there's so many accidents on I-99 when I drive by. Hey, how you doing? Oh, we ran off the road because my head's shining. Male pattern baldness is a real thing. I don't believe that a can of ready whip a week will affect your body. I just don't believe it. But it does. It does in a very real way. You see, we have an adversary. His name is Satan, and he's very real, whether you believe it or not. <clears throat> we're going to look at three men this morning who were not blinded by sight, but they were blinded in their heart, uh, clear into their adulthood. These three blind mice, if you will, uh, are represented by three types of people they could be uh, any age, female, male, uh, young, rich, poor, whatever. This just is a representation of mankind. Let's take a look at the first one. This is the willfully wild. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarians. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him. Not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Isn't that an amazing text? This is a demon speaking out of a man. And it says that he came and immediately he worshipped. It's not the worship that we think of. It's not the worship of, of bowing down and praising God. It means that he fell prostrate before God. He recognized the power of the almighty God and he fell before him. And then it says that, that he cried out to him and he said, Son of the most high God. The demon recognized that Jesus was the son of God. 
And then he said, don't torment me before my time. He, 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 he said, you have power over my eternity. We got people sitting in this church that don't believe those three things. But yet, the demon completely, before God, recognized him for who he was. How does someone get like this? How does somebody end up? Some say that this person was mentally ill because it uses the statement later where he came into his right mind. Listen, a demon cannot possess a mentally ill person just because they're mentally ill. That cannot happen, does not happen. This is a willful act on this guy's part. Yeah, he got somewhat out of hand once he got there, but, but uh, people who are in a, in a mentally ill state, they just can't be taken over or Satan would take over everyone, but he can't. So this came as a result of this man's lifestyle. Most likely com combination of narcotics, alcohol, more than likely, he had the occult in his life, and he was possessed by a demon. I, the school's ending here, and my wife works in a school, second graders, third graders. And she comes home every day, and we talk about second and third graders. And she talks about these second and third graders who come into class and sleep the entire time. They sleep the entire time. She talks about second and third graders who come in and turn their table over. And the teacher says something to them, and they rip the table down, and they tell them to go, uh, they take them down to, the, uh, uh, down to the principal, and the principal has to give them coloring pages. And we say, oh, the, these kids, listen, why is a kid like that? Why is a kid like that? Why does a kid come into school and fall asleep and sleep all day? Well, talk to him for a minute. Because my mom and dad were up all night. Because the police were at my house until one. And then I went to grandma's house. And now I'm in school. That's why. That's why. Because these little guys are exposed to a ton. They're exposed to a ton of stuff. Second and third grade, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, be fireman. I'm going to be a fireman when I grow up. If we had as many firemen as people said that they were going to be firemen when they grew up, that's all we'd have is firemen. There wouldn't be nothing else. When I was young, I wanted to grow up and have my own brain freezers. But, but that's not. But I want to be a fireman. Now look, I'm going to be a policeman when I grow up. I'm going to be a policeman. Did any little kid ever say, you know, I'm grow up, I'm going to be a maniac. I think it'd be neat to be a maniac. And the parents go, oh, honey, you can be whatever you want to be. It's America. Be a maniac. They don't, they don't grow up like that. These poor kids are exposed to so much. It's horrifying. We just finished up a wanna. We just finished up wanna. And, and I, I know, it's rough. It's rough here for you guys. The guys on the buses and the vans and, the, and, the, and I'm just like, oh, I'm tired and all that. And so I'm saying, you know, I think this year, I think I might give it up. Listen, don't give it up. Don't give it up. You're impacting these young people. They're in the youth group and in the junior high and the senior high. Pastor Brian, don't give it up. You're impacting these guys. How many 
situations have been averted in Altoona and Hollidaysburg because of what's taken place at Grace Bible Church for young people. What kid may have gone out and done something horrific? Well, we don't know. We'll never know till heaven. But that some people sacrificed and came out and, and sweated and, and ate supper real fast and came out. Don't give it up. These guys are worth it. These guys are worth it. The Gadarian maniac, what did he lose by his willful sin? He lost his home. He lost his home. He lived in the tombs. When I was a kid, I always wanted to go somewhere. Now that I've had another birthday, I always want to go home. I want to go home. And you think, what's so great about your home? It has a couch and a TV. Enough said. This guy lost his home. He lost his family. His family was, was fearful of him. He lost friends, friends who cared. If you read the scripture text, and the, the, the uh, second text that's written about it is that he did have a friend, but that, that friend stood up there and cut himself with him. So he was no good friend. He was just aiding him in his sin and in, in his bad behavior. He said he was naked, so he, ran, he was no decency whatsoever. Sound like America? No self-control. And he had no peace. And here's the worst. He had no purpose for life. Canary maniac had no purpose for life. Anybody come across the, uh, um, uh, said in ver verses 5 through 7, he was cutting himself. And you say, listen, man, you're cutting yourself. You, you could die. You know what he'd say? Who cares? Who cares? Does anybody care if I live or die? I don't. And I don't think anybody else does. He didn't care if he lived or died, but Jesus did. Jesus cared very much about him. He needed Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound like our culture? Kids who just don't feel like, who cares? Who cares? Well, Jesus does. Listen to what Mark 2, 16, uh, chapter 2, 16, 17 says. Uh, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating and the tax collectors and the, with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who uh, are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call out the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Do you hear that? He came to seek and save that which was lost. A lot of times what we find happens at churches is that we're running down little battles between Christians because they get mad about things. Pastor Lou, I'm mad about it. And that's what we spend our time doing. Man. And there's lost and dying world out there. And we're worried about that Marianne let somebody walk through the sanctuary with a cupcake. Well, you mean I had a cupcake and it was like this big? I'm not giving you a right to bring a giant cupcake in here, but whatever. He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. I came for the sick. I came for that. Keep your focus on there. Deal with your little things. Get, get, get them behind you. Listen. 
There is hope for the willfully wild. There is hope. Mark 5, 15 through 18. It says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had a legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told it how it had happened to him uh, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they begged and pleaded with him to depart from their region. And when he had got uh, into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Isn't that amazing? The owners, you know what they were thinking? We lost all the money. It's about money. And you know what I do with that money? I have fun. It's fun. It's money. They could have cared less that there was a man who was demon-possessed, who was destroying himself and destroying everybody around him, was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Be careful you don't get caught up in that. Be careful. We, we seek it. We, we seek it. We just got to have the money. We just got to have fun. Hey, you're allowed to have fun, but there's something more important than even your fun. The owners, they're running wild here. So there is hope for the willfully wild. The second one here are the naturally nice. This is John 3, 1 through 7. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do uh, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I've had people say, I've gone to church all my life, and I never heard that word born again, so don't try to push that on me. Listen to what the verse says. Most surely I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Most assuredly. I say unto you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, people argue over the water, whether that was water uh, baptism, uh, water of the, the womb and, and all that. But he's talking about a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Unless you have a spiritual birth, unless you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, one-on-one, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, you can't see nor enter the kingdom of God. Period. Well, I never heard about it. Yes, you have. I just told you. I'm sorry. Whoever I made You must be born again. See, when we go through life, there are some things that are maybes and some things that are must. This is a must. When Terry and I got married, all the, all the motorheads out here are going to hate me after this. Whatever. When Terry and I got married, I didn't know how to jump start a car. I didn't know. I didn't know what jumper cables were. I just, you know, we were getting married. I didn't know. So my dad said, Lou, you're getting married. Something real important you need to know. That piece of junk you're driving, you need to learn how to jump a car. I'm like, okay. Pulled him out and he goes, see this? You put the positive on the positive, and you put the negative on the negative, and you jump a car. I was like, okay, thanks, Dad. 
So I went, I don't know, a year. My, my neighbor where we moved, come over. He said, Luke, can, can you jump my car? And I was like, yeah, I don't have any jumper cables, but sure. So I pulled up to the front of his car, and, and I went over to my other neighbor, and I said, do you have jumper cables? And he said, yeah. So I got the jumper cables, and, and I got out, and I'm like, oh, man. It's 50-50 chance. There's two, two knobs here. Immediately blew the alternator out of his car. When that happened, I pulled them both off, and they stuck together and caught on fire. I had two neighbors that never talked to me again. Burnt those cables up like, burnt them right off the. There's, there's some things that are must. You must put positive to positive and negative to negative. And Jesus said, you must be born again. But what if, there's these naturally nice people. They're nice. My dentist, Ralph, is nice. I don't know how he is in the community. I don't know how he is at his house. But in the chair, he's nice. He has T-Rex hands. He can put both of his hands and elbows in my mouth. He's like, come here, I got you there. And he, he gets him in there. And it's like, but here's what he does. He'll be like, are you okay? Is that okay? Does that hurt? Is that okay? I'm like, Ralph, pull my tooth out. Is that okay? Are you all right? He's just very nice. I know this, this guy, his name's Michael. I mean, his name's Michael. And, uh, you know, there's people like, well, Michael, he'll go to heaven. He's so nice and even-tempered. He'll be in heaven. <laughs> and I say, what Bible are you reading? What Bible are you reading? Does it say, except a man be nice and even-tempered, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven? It says, except a man be born again. Except a man be born again. It's believed that this Nicodemus that we just read, read of is the same one mentioned in the tumult, um, Nicodemus ben Gurion, And it's said that he was a wealthy Jew, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, and was well respected for holiness and generosity. Holiness and generosity. Woo. And what did Jesus do? Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of heaven and you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, but I'm known for my generosity and my holiness. You can't see it or enter the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the gift of God. It's trusting in what he did at Calvary. It's trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's one-on-one -on -one with him. And here's what we're living in today, these days. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in the way of death. Oh, I got my way. You got your way. There's a right way. And Jesus Christ and God gave us very clear that even a child could understand. But there's a way that seems right unto man. The last one that we look at is the righteously religious. <clears throat> it's about Paul, Apostle Paul. And he speaks of himself in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. 
And he says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks uh, he, may have con- he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Pretty nice resume. Pretty nice resume. Paul's credentials, he was pure-blooded Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. He wasn't a proselyte. He came in later and, and uh, had that done. From the tribe of Benjamin, it's where Israel's first king came from. One of the two tribes that stayed pure uh, when they split the northern and the southern kingdom. Ten went north and two stayed. It's from uh, the southern kingdom, the, the pure one, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, the whole deal there. Member of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. More zeal than most. And when it came to righteousness, blameless. Isn't that, that's a, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. I could see him possibly one day showing Satan that in hell. Look at this resume. Because apart from Christ, that's the only place that resume would have got him. And I could hear people back then saying, wow, if this guy's not going to heaven, nobody is. For your information, he wasn't. He was not on his way to heaven until he met Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. Paul wanted to please God and obey God and serve God. He was very religious, but he did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it breaks my heart to think that there's a lot of people who walk in and out of this church every week and give and give and give but have never truly trusted Christ, have never truly had the born-again experience where Jesus Christ literally abides inside of them now. Paul was as lost as the vilest sinner, but he got a wake-up call. He got a wake-up call. Listen to what Matthew 15, 8 and 9 says. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What's the will of the Father? To trust in the Son. What's the work of the Father? Look him up. Is to trust in the Son. Look up those verses in your Bible. It'll tell you. The will of God is to trust in the Son as Savior. It's the work of, of it. To trust in the Son as Savior. They worship, but their hearts are far from me. You know what the willfully wild person needed? He needed forgiveness and restoration through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the willfully wild person needed. Do you know what the naturally nice person needed? Forgiveness and restoration through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the righteously religious person needed? Forgiveness and restoration through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
And thankfully, Paul did. Thankfully, Paul did. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are you truly born again? Do you know that there's a time where you fell on your knees before a holy God and cried out to him and said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want you to come into my heart and life. Forgive my sins and save my soul. I believe that you died and were buried and that you rose again after three days. You're at the right hand of the Father right now and, and you will take me to be with you forever because I'm trusting completely in you for the forgiveness of my sins and the salvation of my soul. Have you done that? Have you really done that? Is there evidence coming out your heart and your hands that you've done that? 1 John 5, 11 through 13 makes it very simple. He says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written that you uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Here's one thing that I can tell you. One day my name is going to be written on either a tombstone or I don't think Terry will buy me one. She'll probably get a piece of paper and write my name on it and put it on my grave. Uh, but I, I will be in my grave. But I will be in heaven. Not because of the righteousness in me, not because I was a pastor, not because I tried to do good. It's because I completely trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and the salvation of my soul. And his promise is, is that he will take me to heaven the day that I die. That's his promise. I'm trusting in his promise. He did it all. He did it all. And I want you to think about something this weekend. I, I, Terry and I have this little thing that we'll take over to my, my parents' grave and we'll put on there. Some people put flowers uh, this weekend and, you know, uh, some people don't, but we, we'll go over and we'll put something there. And uh, I've always heard throughout the years, you know, oh, boy, walk through a graveyard late at night. Is it scary? <sighs> no, it's not. There's nobody there. No, and I mean nobody's there. Sobering thought. You stand in a graveyard. Every one of those names are somewhere. Every name. They're either abiding with Christ or they're not. That's sobering. What will be said of you, not what I say of you, what will Christ say? Enter in, my good and faithful servant. Depart from me, I never knew you. If you need to trust Christ and you, you're still unsure about what I'm talking about, you grab a hold of me, tackle me before we leave this building. If you never have and you want to bow down, someone would be glad to bow down. Pastor Brian, anybody will bow down with you and pray and talk to you about Trust in Christ. Sharon will uh, go with you in, in room 101 and tell you about Christ. Don't leave this room deceived. 
leave this room knowing exactly according to the word of God where you stand with him.